0: Well, hello listeners, That's, that sounded like such a cliché, my goodness, but it's really lucky to be back again. My name is Forti Mazzoni, chef, restaurateur, budding, motoring journalist, and uh, of course radio presenter here on the amazing Gay Say Radio. Um, today's uh, show is called Forty on Food, it's a regular slot I do, and we talk about all matters food, we listen to some liquor music, and hopefully I don't bore you too significantly. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting day today because um, we were uh, on the way to the studio uh, stopping for breakfast at a uh, shall we say a mass market kind of franchise operation uh, with uh, many pictures on the menu of various dishes and uh, we selected one according to the picture and uh, this very very sorry, very sad-looking toasted sandwich or rather being completely crushed into about the thickness of a, you know, really small finger. And um, any resemblance to anything on the menu was wholly coincidental, and I was just like thinking to myself, you know, there's got to be a a reason. Can we sue these people? I mean, this is is misrepresentation. And uh, isn't that uh, the amusing thing? We uh, tend to go to all these franchise places and then we just get the very, very worst. And that's what made me decide today on the way to the studio that uh, that's it. We need to support independent operators. We need to support people that are looking after families, they're looking after their partners, they're creating good in the community, they often buy locally from the community. They like to support their local businesses. And uh, unlike these big franchise operations, which tend to buy from great big central kitchens with the massive sort of corporate owners of these franchises making huge kickbacks from various suppliers, and then actually, in a sense, screwing their own franchisees because putting massive markups on these. And uh, which brings us to the next point, and, you know, why are restaurants so expensive? I get asked these questions on a daily basis. And uh, I think it's something that we must explore. We must really look at this and let uh, you, the very wise and knowledgeable and uh, the listenership, which really for most restaurateurs, the gay market is an absolutely essential, essential market for us. And just to let you have greater insight into why food costs what it does today and also for your budding restaurateurs out there or the restaurateurs here and amongst the audience uh, reliefs that they uh, can hear uh, the words that they want to expouse themselves to you, the listeners. But uh, in the meanwhile, let's uh, grab some beautiful music and uh, I'll be back just after this song. And I'm back and we're talking about uh, this very interesting fact of uh, why restaurants cost what they do. And uh, it all boils down, I think, in South Africa, largely to landlords, effectively and first and foremost. The problem is to get, uh, for restaurateurs to get good space and to get space where they can get passing feet that are accessible to our client base and that offer good parking and so on. We're normally stuck to go in centres, and the centres today charge scary rentals. So And often the rentals are linked to turnover clauses, uh, which means that not only do we pay basic rentals, but we pay a rental linked to our turnover as well, a percentage of turnover. So often for many restaurateurs in this current economic cataclysm, it uh, almost feels like you're working for the landlord instead of working for yourself. And that closes uh, many a restaurant these days because people just work, work, work the whole month, and at the end of the month, there's just nothing there. And the landlord, of course, must get his due. So that is uh, the one uh, very, very important factor. The second factor which uh, influences the way and what things cost is, of course, the cost of ingredients. And you, dear listeners, will know. <laughs> if you walk into, and I'm going to use that colloquial example of Woolies, you walk into a Woolies today, you walk out with two bags of shopping, and it's like a couple of grand. It's ridiculous. So if you think about it and you're buying that piece of salmon at Willie's and it's costing you 120 Rand for a piece of decent salmon, well, I've got news for you. Us restaurateurs are paying the same price because if you're a restaurateur who's independent, who cares for the health and of your customers and obviously for the quality of your food. And I think a lot of independent restaurateurs have got a lot of integrity in as far as this is concerned. We really do care about putting the best quality ingredients on your plate. So we're paying the same thing. And, you know, then we still got to cook it. We've got to pay for the rent of it, the staff to prepare it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll understand that if today a restaurant is operating at what we call a food cost of more than 35 percent, and generally speaking, all of us do, we're not actually making money. The, the correct ratio should be the cost of the food. And these, all the restaurant models say this, the cost of the food should be around a third of the cost of the dish to compensate for all the other expenses. So you and I both know that at the moment with our Mickey Mouse money, the RAND, um, the cost of ingredients is just through the roof. Every little item on that plate. Today, if you're dealing with uh, a restaurateur with integrity, with with honesty, uh, he won't be serving you margarine on the plate. You'll get real butter in your lemon butter sauce. He's uh, going to try and attempt to use organic fruit where possible, including lemons or decent vegetables. He's going to serve your dish with at least one lovely starch of your choice, uh, or generally speaking, we do a starch presentation for you know designed to go with different dishes. And then, of course, uh, most people enjoy a little salad on the side or some vegetables, and all those things add up. And so if you're paying for that piece of salmon and a couple of vegetables and and once you've added it in, 150, 160 rand for yourself at home, well, then it's perfectly understandable when restaurateurs are charging 300 rand for that dish. And uh, this is what I don't understand. People can't expect and, and must understand, cannot expect to pay the same as what you pay in the supermarket because that is what we're buying it for ourselves. So that's a key factor. Another very important factor is the increasing cost of labour in this country, but this is something which I believe is inevitable. Obviously, we had a gross, gross imbalance uh, in this country in that labour I really, really believe were, were exploited. I mean, exploited is really the only word for it, um, which has left a number of cultures in its wake. And uh, I'm going to discuss um, that question straight after this musical break. Enjoy the music. So we're dealing with the question of exploitation of workers in the hospitality industry and I I think this is a a very relevant question, not only in as so far as what it uh, uh, contributes towards the cost of your dish and the dishes these days in restaurants are expensive. But in as far as the fact that this was inevitable, obviously to eat out overseas, and those of you that have travelled, which I would imagine is the majority of this radio audience certainly, will know the cost of eating out overseas is massive, at least two to three times as much as what you pay for quality food in this country. And uh, a large component of that is the cost of labour. And the reason is uh, overseas, of course, labour is paid... um, a living wage, the going rate. In South Africa, we had the unique situation whereby, as a kind of legacy of apartheid, I guess, um, we had large proportions of the population being distinctly paid or underpaid. And uh, the byproduct of this was not only were skills transfer lessened, and as a matter of fact, almost became irrelevant. I mean, you would imagine yourself if you're working in a sort of hard, really dead end job for very low wages, your motivation uh, as such would be very low. And then, of course, there was very little uh, skills transfer. And uh, because the payment uh, was so low, you had effectively low productivity. So, and not unsurprising. So you'll find the restaurateurs that really pay their staff very well. You'll see a increase in productivity. Uh, you'll see more interesting food coming out. You'll definitely see trans skills transfer. And we also generally tend to be the restaurateurs that enjoy working with the students. And I always have students at my restaurant. I love that youthful energy that they bring to the kitchen. I love being able to transfer the classic skills of the kitchen and also... Um, that lovely, uh, the meritocracy of the kitchen, you know, the, the lovely, the system of a kitchen. And uh, to be able to transfer those old world skills uh, to our students, to let them understand the importance of still working with things like a stock pot and, um, you know, to understand quality instead of just resorting to the traditional old bucket of sauce or bucket of powder or MSG or any of those other dreadful things so this is a, a key factor then in the increase in the price of food in that uh, I think restaurant with integrity are starting to pay the um, staff properly and uh, there's nothing wrong with that um, I believe it's our ethical responsibility to do so so that is an inevitable cost increase and uh, so you combine that then with uh, this increased, uh, these huge increases, ridiculous rentals that are charged by our landlords who also have very little sympathy for a small business owners. And then you throw into the mix the world's most business, unfriendly business and labor regimen. So what do we have? We have red tape galore to open restaurants in this country. So small business and small SMEs, small and medium enterprise business owners are faced with a ton of red tape. Liquor licenses cost the earth. I've just applied for a new liquor license for a restaurant I'm opening, 32,000 Rand just to apply for the license. And then you add that to a certificate of acceptability for for food premises. And there's a list of about 12 or I can't even remember how many items. I I was just surprised. Then you've got to apply for the liquor license. The only thing I wasn't able to provide because I read through the whole list was a semen sample. I mean, honestly, it's the most ridiculous list of requirements ever for a silly little license. It takes six months, six months to acquire a liquor license in this country, something which you can do in a matter of days abroad and then uh, the massive cost involved, and then the separate fire certificate and the separate business trades. So you've got all these mounds of red tape. It's 1,000 rand here. It's 1,500 rand here. And at the end of the day, it's a massive drain on new businesses' cash poor environment to open, for example, a restaurant. And so all these are contributing factors as to why the cost of food is going up in restaurants. But uh, I really want to assure you, listeners, and all of you that have friends in the restaurant business can assure you that the margins are now minuscule in the restaurant business because of all these extraneous factors which uh, contribute to, um, to the food cost, the cost of putting that food on your plate. And, of course, the fact that we still eat cheaper here and, and certainly much higher quality than many of the countries uh, one can visit uh, in this country. Now, I think the United States is the best example of a of a country that has a massive, massive population, has a massive, massive variety and choice of food, and yet the standard of food in general is so low unless you really prepared to spend exorbitant sums of money mm-hmm. on food. I mean, uh, 20 times what you'd pay in this country. So um, I think... Uh, Dear listeners, we are South Africans spoilt uh, by restaurants, and restaurants can't really charge what they need to charge, what they should be charging because uh, you know of the constraints of the economy, uh, our economic cataclysm. Another sort of factor that really drives uh, not only me as a restaurateur, restaurateurs, and I think the general small and medium business owner crazy, though, is our silly labor laws and all the attached CCMA and all the bargaining councils and all this bloody nonsense excuse, really, to put people in jobs doing nothing and uh, wasting people's time. Uh, The labor law, I understand the need for labor law, but in this country it's just become that one is unable to fire anybody, even if you have a realistic and genuine reason so it's people who are thieves, people who are extremely, extremely poor workers, and you can't fire them unless you've gone through a massive and hugely expensive process. The thing is, even if one's prepared to go through all this process, the net effect on the economy is that people are just scared of employing people anymore because they're just so worried about uh, increasing uh, staff or, or making more. It's the fear of the unknown. Let's call it that. Because they know they just eventually and inevitably can't uh, fire them if they're not up to standard, and uh, what a disappointing uh, way of trying to increase the labour market in this country. I think the deregulation of the labour market is an essential key, not only in the restaurant industry but in the you know the whole economy. It's the key to opening up and increase. Um, well, certainly one of the keys, probably the most important key in uh, expanding the labour market and opening up new employment possibilities. Because there's no doubt that the SME sector, uh, of which tourism is a major, you know, tourism has become South Africa's major export. The bottom line is, tourism is more important than mining. It's more important than any of the other businesses. South Africa is now a tourist destination. It's an international tourist, It's an international gay tourist destination. Cape Town, certainly the most important gay tourist destination in the world. And uh, I think if one wants to really explode the, that sector, one really has to get rid of a lot of this red tape. And, uh, of course, for people coming from abroad, South Korea's paradise. I mean, the cost of accommodation and food here, really, really very low. Let's uh, listen to some music and... Uh, I'll uh, come back with some more interesting information. Hi everybody, it's me again. I hope I'm not boring you too severely. I hope you're enjoying the music. I'm having fun here for a change, just uh, presenting the show without guests, and just getting some stuff off my chest about uh, about the cost of eating out in this country. Very interesting thing, of course, is the reviews that appear on uh, various social media channels about restaurateurs. And I really want to say one important thing. I think that before one writes a review on a social media channel, you must just remember that it's not just the restaurant that you're pulling down, but you're also affecting the livelihoods of all the people at that restaurant. Uh, that being said, uh, you know it's, it's totally unacceptable to have very, very poor service or poor food in the current environment, especially uh, bearing in mind it costs a lot of money to eat out. And uh, we're not a wealthy nation, so it's important to you know talk the truth. And um, I saw a review this week appearing about uh, my restaurant in particular. And we have so many beautiful, positive reviews, I I kind of become spoilt. But uh, this particular review happened to say that uh, the food is homely, like pub grub. And I expected fine dining, you know. And then this brings the question of expectations uh, to into a very sharp and and uh, uh, valid point, and that is that uh, one must also go to restaurants with the correct expectations. So, if you want to go to a restaurant and expect um, very very elaborate presentations. Um, the so-called molecular gastronomy style, exquisite-looking plates of food, plate art, and then certainly, you know, restaurants like Mosaic or the Test Kitchen or Lacalom or or um, there's a lovely restaurant in Pretoria called Famier. Those are the type of places which you can go to and expect that because that is the nature of what they produce. Um, you go there for that particular experience. But uh, if you're going to an Italian restaurant, even a so-called Italian fine dining restaurant, you must expect Italian fine dining, which is um, a very classic take on the most authentic dishes bought somewhat up to date, certainly in a contemporary mode. but you know there's when a grill is a grill or you know a plate of prawns, you must look at what ingredients have been used in the dish. So look also at the provenance of what you're receiving on your plate. Uh, is the restaurant using the finest grass-fed organic beef available, which is massively expensive, which comes from just one farm, or are they using just normal conventional feedlot beef, grain-fed beef? All those are factors which must affect how was your welcome. Do do you feel ultra-welcome or... Um, You know, people almost have this association with fine dining of being expected to be patronized when you come in. you know, almost made to feel unwelcome and the staff almost doing you a favor to sit you down. That is certainly not fine dining. That is the exact opposite. That is, uh, I think the essence of fine dining is in your welcome, in the fact of how hospitable you feel, in the quality of your crockery and cutlery, certainly in the care that your restaurateur has taken with the interior of his restaurant. Is it spotless? Is it beautiful? Is there art? Is it different? Mm -hmm. Um, Has he taken a lot of care with his bathrooms? Are they clean? Um, Can you see into his kitchen? Is his kitchen clean? Are his staff well-behaved and polite and uh, friendly, but without being, you know, uh, I think they, they must never ever cross that boundary of being over-familiar with customers. And then, of course, uh, my petate, and I know the petate of a lot of people who go into restaurants, being addressed as guys. You know, Hi, guys, how can I help you? You know, and That is, uh, in, in a smart environment, it's just unacceptable. It's uh, hello, sir, hello, madame, and um, gentlemen or ladies. I just think um, that kind of old-school, proper, um, just manners... Are what are important to use uh, with your customers. And, uh, yeah, some just some interesting points to ponder, uh, talking again about uh, the cost of food, uh, what constitutes fine dining, and how you must look at restaurants and alter your expectations according to where you're going. So it's really unfair to expect uh, fine dining when uh, going to a lovely family restaurant like, uh, just for example, at Tush's, Uh, even though that's a franchise operation, uh, you know, something that provides a very high-quality franchise operation, but it's also unfair to go there and expect a fine dining experience. It's uh, fine quality food in a family environment, friendly, more relaxed, more casual, more rustic. And um, so when you approach those reviews, I think always bear in mind and, and keep that at the back of your mind that your expectations of what your dining experience were going to be are relevant to where you ate out. Uh, with that uh, point mulling in your head, some more music. Uh, that brings me to the last section of uh, today's show. And uh, what I thought we'd do is just discuss for a few minutes uh, what's new, what's happening. Uh, we've seen um, a couple of months ago the Eat Out Top 20 Awards uh, come out. And uh, the question is, how relevant are those anymore? Um, The discussion has become uh, very, very heated amongst restaurateurs and uh, certainly amongst the eating public because, uh, especially up here in the Transvaal, uh, Gauteng, former Transvaal area, I think there's always been this perception that... um, up here in Gauteng, we unfairly ignored compared to the Cape because the majority of the reviewers and the publications that are involved with restaurant guides are based down there. And, um, of course, you know, arguably you can always say that uh, the bucks are up here in Gauteng and people, you know, are not shy to, to spend them in restaurants. And so we see um, the growth of, of really mega restaurants uh, up here that still offer, I think, a very fine quality of food, and then we have some exceptional, exceptional fine dining restaurants up here as well. And uh, so, you know, I think Gauteng is feel a little bit, to, for want of a better word, that wonderful Afrikaans word Afghiskep, um, compared to uh, restaurants down in the Cape. So how relevant are these awards anymore? Um, and this is the question. So that's uh, very, very much on everyone's minds at the moment. Uh, the growth of TripAdvisor as a source of information about restaurants, and, of course, the scandals surrounding uh, paid um, people being paid to put reviews on TripAdvisor, um, the infamous story of that guy that uh, created a restaurant in his imagination and got it raised on TripAdvisor. It's the number one restaurant in all of London, and it actually didn't even exist. So I always think uh, the answer to this is uh, make up your own minds. Um, rather just go and experience the restaurant yourself. You know what you enjoy. And uh, yes, it's all very well to use these guides as a guide, but uh, at the end of the day, make up your own mind. Um, quite a uh, a difficult uh, week for senior chefs in South Africa this week uh, with the death of Linus, uh, a very senior member of our chef community, and, um, and uh, a member of many years standing of the uh, Brigade Blanche, and uh, certainly a very senior member of the chef community. Um, so uh, that certainly had the chef's world uh, buzzing. And uh, Jean Pierre Ziegenthaler, 45 years, absolutely still a career in the chef's business, retiring this week off to. The greener pastures of enjoying his family uh, that we'll all reach one day. So, another one of the big old school chefs buying out of the trade, but lots of exciting new chefs coming through, lots of exciting new restaurant op- openings coming through. And of course, the growth at the moment uh, in places like, for example, the Hazelwood Village in Pretoria, where we're seeing, um, and of course, there are several little uh, nodes like that in Johannesburg. Uh, Cape Town, certainly, where we're seeing the growth of artisanal little restaurants, lovely tapas style of food, less formal, more casual. And uh, I had a a very interesting uh, chat earlier this week with uh, Hein Kuchlenberg, the uh, CEO of Lamotte, who was telling me that even at the Lamotte restaurant at the moment, a traditional fine dining venue, the emphasis is going to be on going more casual more rustic, still with a very, very high quality of food, but uh, just less, less formal, less rigid. And so more playful food, I think, is definitely a trend we're going to be looking at for this little while. So, um, yeah, just look out for those interesting restaurants. Look out for that lovely tapas. And uh, just remember, enjoy the restaurant in the context of what you are meant to enjoy. Go with the correct expectations. And just remember, support your local restaurateurs, not the big corporates. They're the guys that really make the difference in our communities. Thank you so much for listening to my show. Um, I hope we've uh, raised some interesting points. I'm going to be back with some interesting guests on next week's show. And uh, so listen in. Cheers.